This is the Radio Bible Class, and I'm your host, Tim Carter. We welcome you to our Bible study as the Radio Bible Class streams across the nation and around the world. We bring to you a message how Christ ministers to his disciples. We greet you on the internet and radio with a message that Jesus is alive today. Now, today's lesson is titled David and Abigail, and it comes from 1 Samuel 25, 1 through 44. But before we start our lesson today, Word Talk Inc. could use your support. Now, playing music on the radio may sound simple, but actually it's quite costly due to publishing rights and royalties. And before that first song is ever played, there's utility bills and tower rental fees and maintenance and so forth. We need people just like you to help with a tax-deductible gift. So won't you do that today? You can do that by calling us at 601-483-8648, and there they can take your information safely and securely over the phone, or mail us your gift to Word Talk, Inc., P.O. Box 4334, Meridian, Mississippi, 39304. Now, your gift to Word Talk, Inc. is IRS-approved as a 501c3 tax-exempt ministry. Now, your contribution is never used for salaries or managerial purposes, but 100% of it goes to the expense providing the good news of Jesus Christ to our listening area. Hebrews 13.16 says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Now, if you'd like to go back and listen to a previous lesson, you can do that by going to our podcast website. That's Radio Bible Class with no spaces between radiobibleclass.podbean.com or catch us wherever you listen to your podcast. We're there too. Just search for WMER Radio Bible Class with no space between Radio Bible Class. Well, today we pick back up in 1 Samuel, and we're at the 25th chapter, so we're about five chapters away from finishing this particular book. Then we'll go to 2 Samuel, but, but today we get away from King Saul and David and the battle and where Saul's trying to kill him. Saul is not an active participant in this particular chapter. First, we see that Samuel dies, but also we see that David wants to take revenge on someone that treats him badly. How do you respond when someone treats you badly, when they don't give you the respect that you should get, when they don't honor what you think they should be doing, what the custom is, they don't respect what you've done? How do you react? And in this chapter, there are really three characters that act three different ways. We have Nabal, who really is a very foolish man, and we'll see that in a minute. We also have David who acts out of flesh, like I said just a minute ago, but then he starts responding after he's give, spoken wisdom into to see that he needs to act more kingly. He needs to act more spiritual. He needs to be more mercy and grace given out. And then the last person in this chapter is Abigail, and Abigail seems to be the wise person. She's the peacemaker, and we'll talk more about that. Now that I've given you a brief overview, let's jump right into the text. We have 44 verses to cover today. I probably won't read every single verse. I'll highlight the things I want to highlight throughout these 44 verses. So with that, turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 25. We'll start in verse 1. And I'll be reading out of the ESV. Now Samuel died, and all Israel assembled and mourned for him. They buried him in his house at Ramah. And I'm going to stop right there and just give you a quick commentary, and then we'll get into the real meat of the text. Samuel was a great man. He was dedicated to the Lord, and he served him from his youngest days. But now he dies. You know, as godly as he was, it didn't save him from dying an earthly death. Now, he was a descendant of Adam, just like you and I are. And one day we will have to face death, too. Now, we can know that we have an eternal life, 
Our spirit will live on, our soul will live on if we've accepted Jesus in our heart. But our physical body will die one day. We all have to face that reality. And we see right here in verse 1 that Samuel dies. Another thing I'd tell you real quick, even though Samuel dies, and he played the role from a judge to a priest, he led the nation of Israel through a transition period of now where they are going to be led by kings, and we see King Saul, and now we're about to see King David in a few more chapters. But even though Samuel died, God's plan didn't end there. God's work is never dependent only on one man. And we'll see that when Samuel died, what does it say? David arose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. So we see one man die and we see another man raised up. And we're going to see that as we move into the next phase of this King Saul and David and the battle that they have. And now let's look at the meat of our text, and I want to paraphrase this story to you real quick, and then I'll dive into each verse uniquely that I want to highlight. I told you there were these three characters, and David's gone down to Paran, and he goes down to Paran, which is part of a region of Carmel. And now this man that he runs into is a man named Nabal. And Nabal is a very selfish, very prideful man. Matter of fact, the Bible says that his name means he was a fool. He was married to a woman, a very wise woman, a very gorgeous woman, very intelligent, good-looking is the way the Bible describes her, and her name was Abigail. But Nabal was brutish and he was mean. He was a fool and he was very arrogant and prideful. Well, David and his men have been out in the back country and they've kind of watched over his sheep even though he hasn't asked them to. But it comes to the season where they need to shear the sheep. And so anyhow, David sends a couple of his men to go to Nabal and say, hey, we've taken care of you. We've watched your sheep while all your people are in there shearing the sheep. And so we want to get paid and we want you to pay us by giving us some food. David's not asking for anything outside the custom. In, the, in that time, there were people that would come around and they were kind of like contract helpers. And so all he's doing, he's saying, share your feast. Share some food with us because we've helped your people. He goes as far to say, go ask your people if you don't believe me. So he sends a contingent of men to Nabal to tell that very thing. The problem is Nabal's response was not what it should have been. Nabal tore into them. He said, who is this David? Who is the son of Jesse? The country is full of runaway servants these days. Do you think I'm going to take my good bread? I'm going to take my good wine. You think I'm going to give my meat and give it to some sheep shearer people that help? I've never laid eyes on these folks, so why would I give my stuff to them? I imagine it wasn't a very good conversation because the Bible tells us that his men got out of there and went back to David and told him exactly what he said. And David responds the way he shouldn't have. He says, strap on your swords. So they all strap on their swords and David and his men set out because they're going to war. They're going to teach this man some respect and how you respect those. Now, while this was going on with Nabal, one of the sheep herders went back and told Abigail what happened. And he said that your husband insulted them and those men were not treated like they should be. And they've treated us very well. They took nothing from us. They didn't take advantage of us while we're out in the field. Matter of fact, they formed protection for us day and night while we were out there tending to the sheep. So why don't you do something quickly before they come back and kill your master and all his people with them? Well, Abigail, being the wise woman she is, she flew into action. She took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five sheep, dressed out and ready for cooking, a bushel of roasted grain, 
a hundred raisin cakes and two hundred fig cakes. She loads them on donkeys and she heads out to catch David before they get back. The other thing is she didn't say a word to her husband, Nabal. Well, she runs into David and David tells her, that was a real slap in my face. And may God do his worst to me if your husband and everyone with him are not dead by in the morning. Well, Abigail shows her humility and she gets off her donkey and she falls to the ground and she faces the ground in a homage showing humility. And she said, let me take the blame. Let me speak to you. Listen to what I have to say. Don't dwell on what has happened. Let's look forward. She even says he's acting out of his name. He's acting out of the meaning of his name, which is a fool. Foolishness comes right out of him. He does it all the time, unfortunately. Then she says, also, look at who you are. I know that God has a plan for you. You're going to be a king one day. And why would you have the blood on your hands? This will not look good for you. So let me speak. Take my gifts that I brought and let's end this thing peacefully. Well, David then comes to his senses and he realizes he's acting out of his own pride. And he says, may God bless you. You have come out and met me and you've brought wisdom to me and you have kept me from having blood on my hands. He goes as far as say, if you hadn't have come out here by in the morning, there would have been nothing left of Nabal but dead meat, dead people everywhere. But because of your act of kindness, out of your custom that you're supposed to do, out of your wisdom, you have spoken wisely. And I appreciate it. And I will let your husband live. And what does David do? He takes the gifts and he returns home in peace. When Abigail got home, though, she found her husband and he's at this banquet and he's drunk. He's very drunk. So she didn't tell him anything that happened until the next morning. But the next morning when she tells him, he immediately has a heart attack and he goes into a coma. And about 10 days later, he dies. Well, David finds out about it. Someone tells him what's happened. And he sends word to Abigail that he wants her to be his wife. Come and I will marry you. And the chapter ends up with Abigail not taking any time, but she jumps on her donkey. She takes five of her handmaids. They go down and she and David become man and wife. So like I said, I really want to look at these three characters, Nabal. And who is Nabal? Nabal is a fool, and that's what the Bible tells us. And David asked Nabal to supply meat for the protection that he had given. And if you don't understand or if you don't know what we've done, ask your men. But he is too prideful to do that. So what does he do? He says, who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? Would I give just anybody anything? No, I won't do that. I won't do what's customary. Right there in verse 10, he tells them, who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants nowadays who break away from this master. So here's what's going on with Nabal. His name means fool, and he's showing his foolishness here. I'm not sure if he actually knows who David is, but I find it hard to believe that he doesn't. Remember several, several chapters ago about the song that people were singing? Even the Philistines knew the song. Saul has killed his thousands, David has killed his ten thousands. So how does Nabal not know who he is? But he says, who is this David? But as I told you, during this period of time, when the sheep shearing was going on, it was a common practice for random people or contract people to come around and protect someone's sheep for them while the sheep herders were busy shearing the sheep. And because of that, they were contractors. We, they didn't call them that back then, but that would be what we call them today. They expected compensation. Now, Proverbs 29, 23 says, A man's pride will bring him low, but the humble in spirit will attain honor. 
You know, Nabal is all about being brought really low because of his pride, refusing to realize what is going on, honoring the culture, honoring God, honoring David, concerned only with his own stuff and his own self. He's greedy. He's prideful. Oftentimes, the prideful will be confronted, and they have to make a choice to either humble themselves or take the fall because of the pride. You know, Solomon wrote in Proverbs 16:5, everyone proud in the heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though they join forces, none will go unpunished. That word abomination to the Lord means hate, is hated by the Lord. God hates pride. Why does God hate pride so much? It's because it's all about me and we're not humble looking for our source of strength. When we're prideful, we're saying we can do it. It's all about me. And it's not giving God the credit and the glory for everything that we have and that we've done. God is the reason for everything that you have been blessed with. God is the reason why you take a breath this very moment as you listen to me. God is the very reason that you were born for a purpose. The Bible tells us in Jeremiah 29, 11 that, that he knew us before we were born and that he has a plan for us. And it's for good. But we have to realize that it's God. It's not us. And God hates pride. He hates it. He hates it because the prideful person thinks that they're above God and even above his word. Pride makes us put ourselves as an idol. We worship ourselves. We're self-serving. We're self-protecting. We're all about self, self, self. But God's plan, God's purpose, God's peace should be above our pride. We should be humble and looking to what God wants us to do. Remember, we call him Lord. Jesus taught on this very subject. He said in Matthew 16, 24 through 26, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. That means don't be prideful, be humble and take up his cross and follow me. In other words, give everything and follow me. Give up your life. Go to the cross, kill it on the cross for whoever saves his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit the man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Does this sound like Nabal? It does to me. He's trying to profit the whole world. And, and he's about to lose his soul from David because he's being prideful. So Jesus taught on this very subject. You may come to me and say, Tim, if I don't take care of myself, then somebody's going to make me look bad. So what? Jesus just told us we shouldn't care what we look like. Well, I might get taken advantage of. So what? Somebody else may get what is mine. So what? God spoke through the prophet Obadiah in chapter 1, verse 3. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who dwell in the cliff of the rock, whose habitation is high. You who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? So let me ask you this morning, what is the view of yourself? What do you think you deserve and what do you think you deserve to get? The Bible teaches us that we are lowly sinners. We don't deserve anything. We didn't even deserve salvation. But God loved us so much that he sent his son so that we could have mercy and have a way back to him. But I didn't deserve that. I didn't earn that. So what do you think you deserve or you deserve to get today? The Apostle Paul was inspired to write in Galatians 6, 3 that for if anyone thinks of himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. The problem is too many of us are listening to the world. The idea of self-value is a value of the world. It is not what is taught or read in the Bible. Self-value is not the story of the Bible. 
People twist the gospel into a story about how awesome you are and how awesome God is. But God is awesome. But you're not awesome. You don't deserve anything God's given you. Yet in his great mercy and love for you, he has given it to you. So you need to understand that you are worthless, but God loves you anyhow. In spite of everything, in spite of everything I am, every flaw, every sin, everything that I do, God loves me in spite of that. I'm not worthy of it. And when we start to see that, when we understand what the Bible really says, then we lose that self-worth. We lose that pride. We lose that about me, me, me. God spoke through Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah in 622. God said through him, but on this one will I look on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit of who trembles in my word. See, we have no right to have any demands or requirements. We should all be dead. That's what Ephesians tells us, that we were dead in our trespasses. But God chose to make us. God chose to love us, to save us, to deliver us from what we deserve. So what do we do? We stay humble. We take correction and we forgive. We love and we stay humble. Wow, I could spend a whole sermon around this, but I won't. We're going to move on. Then we turn to verse 12. We see that David's men got there. They told David what has been said. And David tells them to strap on your swords. Take all your swords and put them on. We're going to battle, men. I can't say that I haven't acted like David. See, David was offended because of what was said about him. Who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? This is the man that's about to be king. This is the man that they sang the song. Now, we've seen David in his humble response before, but here he's acting in his flesh as well because he says, strap on your sword, men, because we're going to battle. We're going to kill this guy over some food. But God in his sovereignty had sent one of the sheep herders to Abigail. Fortunately, God knew what was going to go down, and he uses this for a teachable moment even to David. So the response we see from David is not right to start with, and so God's going to teach him. And then we see who Abigail is. Who is Abigail? Well, the Bible tells us right here that Abigail is Nabal's life. She's wise. And we see that in how she handles the situation once she finds out. She doesn't waste any time. She immediately puts together this feast and she sends it out and she goes with it. She never tells her husband because she doesn't need the hassle that that's going to create. We immediately see the intervention. She is a peacemaker, and that's the way I would describe her. She's wise, what the Bible says. It says she's intelligent, but she's also a peacemaker, and we see that in how she handles this. Now, Abigail had a choice here. She could have doubled down with her husband and said, destroy David. Who does he think he is? But the Bible says she was aware of the larger plan that God had for David and for Israel, and her allegiance isn't to her husband. It isn't to David. It's to God. Proverbs 12, 20 says, Deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil, but counselors of peace have joy. She is a peacemaker. She operates in joy. Just like Nabal had to make a choice and he chose foolishly, just like David has a choice to make and we'll see that he chooses wisely, again, Abigail has a choice to make. There's always a choice that you have to make when you interact with people. Will I bring peace Or will I stoke the fire of discomfort and resentment? Will I blow things up? You know, one of the biggest shows that I see on TV, I know my wife watches it occasionally. I don't understand because of all the drama. But there are are these housewives of L.A., the housewives of Atlanta. 
And it's like high school. It reminds me of all the drama that goes on. And there are people on those shows that love to just stoke the fire. They're not peacemakers. They enjoy the discontentment. They resent what others have. And so they stoke the fire and they create things worse. Look what the Bible says in verses 23 through 26 in this story. When Abigail saw David, she hurried and got down from her donkey and fell before David on her face and bowed to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, On me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. Please let your servant speak in your ear and hear the words of your servant. Let not my Lord regard this worthless fellow Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. She's saying his name is foolishness, and he's foolish. But I, your servant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. So now then, my Lord, as the Lord lives, and as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from saving your own hand, now then let your enemies and those who seek evil to my Lord be as Nabal. In other words, be foolish, but you don't be foolish. See, we see the wisdom here of her peacemaking. And then she presents all that she has. But I want you to look at the response that she had versus her husband. First, she puts it on herself. She puts the offense on herself, not her husband. She also falls before him. She shows the sign of humility. She honors him and the authority that he has. She wants what is right, not what is self-serving or beneficial for her. She wants peace. She wants this to be settled without conflict. She understands that the conflict will help no one. Destruction helps no one. Peace is always better than conflict and destruction. And she understands that. She could have easily gone back to her husband and got him in a tiffy and watched the fight. She could have stoked the fire just like housewife shows do. But she didn't. She understood that destruction wasn't good. Psalms 34, 14. Depart from me evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Really, this is the story of our faith, that we're at peace with God through Jesus. And then how can we not be a peacemaker if we want peace with God? Isaiah 9, 6 says, Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Romans 15, 33 says, our God is a God of peace. If we're to imitate Jesus, if we're to look more like Jesus, then we are a peacemaker. We are more like Abigail. One of my favorite books in the Bible is Ephesians because it's just so rich. But right there in chapter 2, it says that we were a vile sinner. We were at war with God. We were with Satan. We were with the ruler of the night. But that God brought us close to him through Jesus. And he forgave us through Jesus. And if God loves you that much and you're supposed to imitate God and Jesus, then who are you to create strife and division instead of creating peace? Look, I'll be the first to tell you, there is a time to engage and to stand. But right here in the church, in the church where most folks get into inner bickering, we see church splits all the time because of folks just blowing things up. Why? Because they won't be a peacemaker. They won't imitate God. They won't find that common ground as Abigail did. Hebrews 12, 14 says, Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Jesus taught on this as well. Jesus said we were to love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, and then we're to love what? Our neighbor as ourself. See, if you're over there in the Nabal camp, you're not loving others like you love yourself. You're only loving yourself. You're not doing what Jesus said. 
Jesus said to love your neighbor as yourself. That means we have to love our family. We have to love our neighbors. We have to love our friends. We have to love strangers. We have to love everyone, whoever that is. Now, we don't have to be friends with them, but we have to make it right. We have to be a peacemaker. We have to try and make peace with them. Paul was inspired to write to the Roman church. In Romans 12, 18, it says, If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. He's doing that because the Roman church has this embickering, this split going on inside of it. Let me challenge you today. What are you doing to be a peacemaker? What are the conversations that you're having at work, at home, and at church? Someone says a coarse word about someone. Do you stop it? Or do you pile on to it? Do you watch the flames just go up? Stop the coarse word before it ever starts. Be a peacemaker. Abigail saw the big picture. She saw what the future of Israel was. She saw the future of David's life. And she sought out peace. Be an Abigail. I'm out of time, so let me finish this last section really quick. David didn't start out well. He didn't start out well when it came to this situation. His initial response was, we're going to go attack Nabal and his men, and we're going to get the goods that are due to us, and his men are going to die. We're going to war with him over food. But when Abigail came around and got in his face about it, he repented. He admitted he was wrong. He says in verse 33, look at it with me real quick. And blessed is your advice, and blessed are ye, because you have kept me from this day, from committing bloodshed, and from avenging myself with my own hand. See, David listened to Abigail. He took her advice and didn't go to war. Proverbs 28, 13 says, He who covers his sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. David confessed his sin to Abigail, that I was about to just wipe your husband out, but you have saved bloodshed. See, David shouldn't have had the heart to go to war with Nabal. He should have let it go. But God used this as a teachable moment. So he would be even a better king when he becomes king and sits on the throne. So I'm out of time. So this is how I'm going to wrap it up. When God or someone else confronts you, how do you respond? Will you double down in your pride? Will you die like Nabal did, a fool? Or will you repent and live? See, pride is what keeps someone from asking for forgiveness, to admit that they were wrong. Pride says, how will I be viewed? But repentance says, how can this be made right before God? Who in your life is trying to get you back on track that you're rejecting? Is it this lesson here? Is it your spouse that's been on you about getting back into the Word, getting back going to church, about turning from yourself and looking back to the Father? Is it a friend? Whoever it is, how are you responding? Are you living a life of repentance? If not, if you haven't turned to God, the Bible declares that you are still in your sin and that you're going to die one day and you're going to live eternal death and be tortured for eternity. We saw at the very beginning of this that Samuel died. He died physically, but he was a righteous man and he went before God. Today, are you too prideful to let your friends and those around you to help show you your blind spots? Maybe it's the Holy Spirit knocking on your heart right now, trying to let you see a blind spot you have. Are you too prideful to admit that you have an area to work on? Unfortunately, when a friend comes to you, too many times we snap back at them. But you know what we should do? We should say thank you. Thank you for stopping and helping me. Thank you for helping me see this blind spot. When a preacher preaches something and you hear it and it strikes you and you feel like you get frustrated at it, you should stop and say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for showing me my blind spot, for not giving up on me. So today, what is it? Are you the fool 
Or are you wise? Are you like Abigail? Are you a peacemaker? Let us pray. Dearly Father, we come before you today, Lord. We thank you for our time together. Lord, I thank you for this lesson. It is a moment in time. It is history that we can learn from. A lot of times we call it a Bible story, but it really is history that happened many years ago, but yet we can learn from the different characters through this moment in history. And Lord, I appreciate you enlightening me. There are some areas in my life that I, as I study for this lesson, Lord, you brought to light. And I feel like there are those that are listening today that you've brought some areas to light that they need to respond in a peaceful way. They need to say thank you and they need to go and lay them at your feet. They don't need to be prideful and be about me and it's okay. I know how it is. I, God's okay with that. I, do, I teach. I'm a deacon. So God's going to let this little thing slide. No, he's not. God wants you to ask for forgiveness. That doesn't mean you aren't going to heaven, but God wants you to be transparent and wants to have a very transparent walk with you. He wants you to confess your sins as you commit them. Even if they're little, no matter what good you do, it doesn't offset that one sin. That's not how it works. God wants you to confess everything. Someone today is listening and God is knocking on your heart and he's brought this to light. And I pray that you will lay it at his feet. Maybe there's one that doesn't know God at all. I don't want you to be like Nabal who died and he didn't know God. We don't think he does. The Bible doesn't say that he was a righteous man. It says he was a foolish man. It says that he was a bad man. He was a cruel man. I don't think he knew God. He sure didn't act like he knew God. His fruit didn't show that he knew God. Are you like Nabal today? If you've never accepted God, today is the day to do it. Ask him to be Lord of your life. Confess with your mouth that you're a sinner. Believe on his finished work on the cross, how he went to the cross, nailed your sins there, how he died on the cross and rose again, and then confess him before men. Chase after him. Obey his commandments. Turn from your wicked ways, and you will be saved. Lord, we thank you for all the blessings you give this ministry. Lord, we thank you, and it's in your name we pray. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.